0: Jesus is the only way to have peace with God. Though there is only one way to God, everyone's journey to Jesus is unique and magnificent. Here is a story of one's journey to Christ, now on Redemption Report. Welcome to Redemption Report. Today, I get to talk to Daryl Smith. Uh, Daryl is someone that I met several years ago, and he's been uh, very influential in my life, I'm very thankful for his friendship, and so excited to hear about uh, how he came to know Christ. Uh, Daryl, welcome, and thank you for joining
1: us. Thank you for inviting me, Timmy, and I hope what I share is beneficial for some folks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, tell us a little bit about
0: yourself, kind of uh, who is uh, who is Daryl Smith today.
1: You want the long version or the short version? Whatever, whatever you want to share. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was, I was very blessed. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest, various places. I had a very good dad uh, who was a civil engineer. He was a devoted husband. He was a devoted follower of Christ. He was devoted to his kids and uh, grew up around the Midwest. Uh, Lived three years of high school in Anchorage, Alaska. That was... uh, change of pace from the midwest i went off to the air force academy uh when i was 18 spent the next 24 years in the air force uh flew airplanes all around the world uh based mostly in the west the united states west of the mississippi and uh along the way i met a wonderful woman named laura and we were married and god has blessed us with four children and when i retired from the air force uh i went into teaching and i'm currently a college professor very cool what do you teach in college that's what my students ask me all the time (laughs) (laughs) uh i'm at the business school at uh, cedarville university and i teach a lot of our quantitative classes like statistics and things like that okay
0: yeah very cool so Growing up it sounds like you got to travel around a lot. Have you
1: have you been able to make it to all fifty states with your travels? I've made it to a lot of the states. I haven't been a lot to the Northeast, but other than that, I've been pretty much been to Alaska, Hawaii, and the the one region I've not not been a lot to, like I said, is the Northeast. Okay, New England states especially. Gotcha. Yeah, getting those uh, two remote ones of Hawaii
0: and Alaska off your list is often the the most challenging. But fortunately, where you're living at in Kentucky, you know you're you're within a day's drive of all those northeastern
1: ones. If you uh, you ever want to take a road trip, or <laughs> yes, yeah, I was fortunate. When I lived in Alaska. You know, people in Kentucky they often go to sp- on spring break. They often go to Florida. Right. In Alaska, people for spring break often go to Hawaii. Because it's a it's fairly short flight. And uh, so I was able to get Hawaii when I was in high school. And then, the course of course, with the military, I went there a lot. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Love Hawaii. So as you talked about, you
0: know, kind of moving around growing up, um, what was your first memory of hearing the name of Jesus or the first time you
1: ever just heard the gospel? Yeah. Both my parents were followers of Christ, and so I joke I was uh, I was in the nursery probably a week or two after I was born. Right, we went to a church in downtown Cincinnati. It's no longer there, but it's, if folks are familiar with the big public library in Cincinnati, uh, part of that library it sprawls several blocks, but part of that's on Ninth Street in Cincinnati, and our our church was like a block or two down from that library and uh so that's where i first heard the name of jesus and first learned about god was between that and family meals praying before meals things like that um but i was really blessed to me i had exceptional sunday school teachers so that that was a big plus in my life
0: so they would you know in sunday school you know go usually probably before church um on a sunday and they would just, uh, how, how did your Sunday school work? If you remember, was it just kind of a general Bible stories? Was it walking through the Bible? Like what was the the format of how you heard about Jesus through your Sunday school teachers?
1: Yeah, my, uh, my earliest memory and I'm, I'm, I think her, I don't remember this, but we had this lady who worked in the nursery named Miss Louise. Uh, I think that was her name, uh, I think she would sing songs to us, but my first Sunday school memories, uh, uh, actually a lady named Margie Lee, when I was in kindergarten, I remember singing that song, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, and I love the shoot the artillery part, because you could go like that, right? Like, you're, like you were shooting stuff, so... For a almost like a,
0: a foreshadowing to what you do in your future. <laughs> exactly, right.
1: I thought about that, but I love that song and those motions, and I remember looking at my friend Todd Racer doing that. And But I remember uh, Myrna Shea was my first and second grade teacher, and she would teach us a different Bible story every week. And I remember one, two of them I remember very clearly. Uh, there was the man at the pool of Bethesda, who couldn't get up off his mat to get into the pool, to get healed. And I remember she asked us, if you were there, what could you have done to help the man? And of course, we kids figured out, well, we could have helped pull him into the pool. But I remember that, uh, I think that question was important because it began to ask the question of how are you going to respond to what's in the Bible? And then one week, her husband could not, or excuse me, she couldn't be there. And her husband substituted for her. For her, and she had this Velcro board, and he took the Lord's Prayer, and um, he had it cut up line by line. He would put one line up on the Velcro, and we talked about what it means. You know, our Father. So what's that mean? Hallowed be Thy Name. What's Hallowed mean? And I remember, as a first and second or second grader, he had our class walk through that prayer in a question-and-answer way. And obviously, as a college professor, I now know that's a very effective way to teach, right, is question-and-answer and and get folks to come up with the answer on their own. And I find it amazing as a first- and second-grader still, I have a good feel for the Lord's Prayer because of Don Shea doing that Q&A back when I was in first and second grade third and fourth grade I had this lady named Miss Edith and she would teach us Bible stories as well but then at the end if we had extra time at the end of the class she had these stack of three by five cards and it was almost almost like Jeopardy but uh I mean she wouldn't we wouldn't answer you know what is or who is right but she had she would ask us these trivia questions like uh who was Adam and Eve's third son you know and Seth is the answer, right? But she would go through these cards and sometimes we wouldn't know the answer. So she would give us the answer. And then next week we'd go through them and we would know the answer. So I learned a lot of quote unquote Bible facts uh, through Miss Edith doing those three by five cards. And then the final one I want to mention, because I, I want Sunday school teachers and, and, and people that work with kids to realize that what they're doing has lifelong impact and eternal impact on people. And sometimes I think now in our modern society, we view Sunday school teaching or working with kids as babysitting till the grownups get out of their service, right? And it's, it's not that, right? We're, we're building these kids' lives. But fifth and sixth grade, I had this lady named Nancy Anderson. Her husband uh, was very influential at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music up at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, he even had a show on PBS for a while. But what I learned from her is that as a layman, as a lay person, you could study the Bible. And she really did a great job of modeling to us as fifth and sixth graders how to study the Bible. She always had a great lesson prepared, but she actually taught a class at the church on the book of Revelation. And if you've ever read the book of Revelation or studied it, that's not an easy book, Right. And it so impressed me. Here's this mom, right, that demonstrated that you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to go to seminary to study the Bible seriously. And so, you know, those group of people I just listed for me up through sixth grade were very influential to introducing me to the things you were talking about, like who is God, who is Jesus Christ, et cetera. Yeah, I like how you...
0: uh kind of gave a public service announcement, but, uh, you know, it was all part of your own story of how important the, or the value of good biblical instruction is at a year at an early age. I, I can relate to that where a lot of the, uh, leaders and people in my youth, like really contributed to my knowledge of, of God. And it wasn't just babysitting. It wasn't just, you know, like, well, how long is the service? Okay, that's how much time we have to to fill or to kill. But it, you know, using things that kids can relate to, like learning through games. Uh, you mentioned the flashcards. I remember things like that, where sometimes it was incentivized by candy. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, trying to learn God's word and in know it, not just from a surface level, but like you said, if you were there, what would you do? Or you know, kind of put yourself in that situation as opposed to. These are just stories, just like you watch movies. These are just other stories that we tell. So I think that that really is important, and it's exciting to see that had an impact that you can vividly remember uh, years and years later.
1: Let me touch on something you just said, yeah. and I think that's the <clears throat> the role of rewards. Uh, I remember Miss Edith again, the lady with the 3 by 5 card. If you memorized the books of the Bible, she would give you this— the <laughs> She had these homemade mice, and they had a clip on them, and they could clip into the binder of your, or the spine of your Bible, and it had a long tail, and you could use it as a bookmark. Sure. And if you memorize the books of the Bible, you got one of those mice, and you could get whatever color you wanted, and my favorite color was green, so I wanted a green mouse, right? Uh, and so that was my motivation for memorizing the books of the Bible. And I still have that mouse to this day. Wow. I, I don't carry it around in my Bible anymore, but, uh, that thing, you know, I think that's really important. And one other thing I want to mention about this, our current state of how we do church in America, and there's different models, but I do have a concern at the, particularly at the mega churches, when we have 40 and 50 kids in a class, and we have two adults. I I think it's difficult to get that kind of instruction that I benefited from. And it sounds like the kind that you benefited from. And I I think we we need to look at that um, more closely and how we do that. Because I think that's an important time period in people's lives. And we don't want to squander it with just with babysitting for an hour. Sure. I remember um, it was I think when I was in fourth
0: or fifth grade, there was a, an opportunity that my Sunday school teacher put forth. He said, um, and I, looking back, I know this, this guy didn't have a lot of money or, you know, he, he didn't have much, you know, with a large family himself, but he, he put out the challenge. He said, uh, if I forget all the specifics, but I think there was like, it was $20 and then it, if you could memorize the Ten Commandments or or something like that, but it had to be like word by word from from Scripture. But then I think if you could memorize like the whole, you know, fifteen sixteen verses or whatever of Exodus chapter twenty, um, you he would take you to uh in Denver it was Lakeside an amusement park, um, and you know as a kid that that really struck a chord like yeah. money that was you know. Oh, the fortune, but right. then let alone that, but then also throwing in the uh, um, amusement park. And I know I was studying so hard and, and you know, that, that really helped. I mean, memorizing the Ten Commandments, that's that's good to know all ten, but to have it word for word from Scripture, like no mistakes, like that was something that really pushed me. And I think had it not been for that, I don't know that I would have taken the time to memorize it because I don't know of any other incentive, but it it's lasted with me. You know, I could still. I think I. I don't know if I'd be good enough to go to Lakeside, but uh, <laughs> I'd be able to uh, to get most of it, most of it verbatim. So yeah, it's definitely really cool.
1: So I assume you you made it then. You got to go. I to did the music get to part. go. Yeah,
0: I think I was the only one in the class that actually did get the whole way through. Wow. Um, so yeah, I was. I I was definitely uh, motivated by that. Yeah. So, you uh, you were definitely exposed to jesus and the bible um at an early age and um you know despite that you know we'll, we'll get to this part of your story in a moment of when you actually did believe but what what were some of the reservations or if you remember anything that uh, didn't make sense or didn't that prevented you from believing right away was there anything that kind of delayed your conversion or that you know you had to kind of work through before you believed
1: not really um and yeah, I was, I was very fortunate. Let me do a quick shout out. I feel bad. Her name was Miss Lois who ran the nursery. Okay, okay. And since she ran it for like 50 years, I feel like I ought to get her name Okay. Right. <laughs> but, but, uh, to answer your question of, uh, were there any reservations? Uh, there really wasn't and I'll, and I'll explain why in a little bit. Actually, the biggest reservation was on the part of my parents. They were uh, concerned that I really didn't understand uh, what I was what I was wanting to do, so I didn't have any great reservations. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Too often parents can be guilty of pushing their child through and you know giving them a false sense of faith, but you know it is encouraging when parents on the opposite side provide speed bumps for their kids. So it's not. Are you sure you're doing what you? What you actually want to do or is this what you want what you think i want you to do yeah what was attractive to you about following christ um what was it that you know kind of made you want to um
1: have a relationship with jesus yeah you know i was very very blessed um especially with as years have passed i've had a greater appreciation for it right I, when I was growing up I assumed everybody had a good mom and a good dad I, I really did I that was my assumption and later I learned that isn't true right so I had a great dad and a great mom who loved me cared about me provided you know mentally physically spiritually emotionally just they were great parents and I had a great growing up years but two things really got my attention for my need when I was growing up The first occurred when I was roughly kindergarten age and it was late spring, early summer. It was warm outside. I was in the backyard and there was this baby bird just kind of hopping around. I don't think it could really fly or it could barely fly. So I, you know, looking back as an adult, it probably just fallen out of the nest, right? But it, it was hopping around in the backyard and I was intrigued by this bird hopping around flooding around and um i don't totally understand well i in a way i do understand why i did this but we, we played croquet a lot when i was a kid right and i went over and i pulled a croquet mallet out and i went over and i i hit that bird with a croquet mallet and blood splattered everywhere it scared me, it scared me badly. And I ran in the house and I'm like, I ran into the house and I'm like, mommy, mommy, there's a bird in the backyard. It's hurt or something like, I said something to that effect. And she came out and she, and she looked, she goes, oh, I bet it's that old cat who did that. And I remember saying, yeah, yeah, it was the cat, right? And I felt this overwhelming sense of, of guilt because I I had injured that bird and the the bird was going to die and and the bird's blood was everywhere and, and I had done that, right? And the sense of guilt that I had killed this little innocent bird just was really strong. But at the same time, I wasn't willing to admit it. I let the cat take the blame, right? My mom, I assume, never dreamed that I would have done it. And I let the cat take the blame, right? So that happened when I was around five. Kindergarten, five, six. Another very influential event occurred when I was nine, ten years old. We had a large extended family and my mom's side of the family was all over at the house lots of aunts lots of uncles lots of cousins I mean or not, not a ton of cousins anyway a lot of family was there and there was cupcakes and I went in the kitchen I saw the cupcakes and nobody was around and so I took my finger and I swept it through the top of one of the cupcakes and, and licked the frosting and I left a few minutes later my dad's like hey who got in the cupcakes? And he called uh, me in, and my sister in, and my cousin in. He goes, one of you got into the cupcakes. And he looked right at me because I was the oldest, and I said, it wasn't me. And my sister said, it wasn't me. And my cousin said, it wasn't me. And he goes. I know one of you is lying. Which, which one is it? And I just, right to his face, I looked him right in the eye, I said, it wasn't me. I, I can tell it wasn't me. Just lying, right? Of course, my sister said, not me. My cousin said, not me. My dad said, he goes, <clears throat> my dad then said, I have to pause. This is a very powerful still in my life. He paused and he, he said, well, he goes, we're not leaving this kitchen until one of you confesses. I said, well, it's not me. So there was this silence. All of a sudden, my sister said, I did it. And I'm telling you, Timmy, I felt so much shame And so much guilt. My innocent sister, at least innocent in this case, took the blame for me. And I stood there and let her do it. I let her take the blame. I didn't speak up. I didn't say, no, no, it was me. I let her take the blame. And my dad looked at her and he said, okay, since you confessed, uh, there'll be no further punishment. You guys can go play. And I remember the rest of that day, the shame and the guilt that I felt about that. And uh, it was about uh, within the year, I would think I came to my parents and I told them I wanted to become a Christian. And I, what motivated that is even though I appeared to the world as a pretty good kid, and I, I was in the eyes of the world, you know, I got good grades. I generally obeyed my parents. I didn't cause a lot of trouble. I was respectful to, to adults, etc. I knew, especially from those two incidents that I just talked about, that I could be really sneaky. And I had this sneakiness to me. That I I couldn't have used this word, but it was repulsive to me yeah. and and to God. So that's really kind of let what led me to realize my need for Christ. Yeah,
0: yeah that that's a lot. I appreciate you giving us those specifics because sometimes it's so easy to just gloss over. But I think that really helps encapsulate kind of where your heart was and where you felt. And you mentioned that you know a few years later you were how old when you started. Asking if you could accept Christ.
1: Yeah, so I right around my tenth birthday. Okay, what were the circumstances that surrounded your conversion? Yeah, well, you know that that event with the cupcakes probably happened a couple months prior, so that was still on my mind, weighing on my mind, and just from the good Sunday school teachers I had had, et cetera, I realized, you know, I I need forgiveness. And again, the whole thing with the bird and the cupcake, it's like, I realized how sneaky I could be. Right. And I knew that wasn't right. And I needed, I needed forgiveness for that. And I learned that Christ offered forgiveness. So told my parents, I I wanted to become a Christian. Again, they were concerned. I just turned 10 that I really don't know what I was talking about. And so they said, um, so I'll tell you what they said. The pastor is about to offer a six-week class at church on what it means to be a Christian and what it means for what is baptism and what's church membership and what's communion. They said, "I'll tell you what. If you go to that class and you still want to be a, become a Christian, we'll support you." So I went to that class again. It was six weeks. We talked about the variety of those things. We we didn't learn all these verses at that time. Later I learned some of them, but but basically I learned, you know, four key principles. I learned Romans six twenty or excuse me, Romans three twenty three, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that was so evident to me. Again, I keep referring to the bird and the cupcakes, but that really drove home to me how sinful I could be, right? The capability I had to be sinful. So I I realized I was sinful. Uh, Romans 6 23, for the wages of sin is death, or the payment of sin is death. Uh, I, I learned that I deserved death, eternal separation from God for my sin. And I learned the second part of the verse, but the gift of God is everlasting life or eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So I learned, even though the payment I deserve for my sin is death i i learned that god was offering me a gift and a gift obviously is something we don't earn the gift is something someone gives us you know i learned romans 5 8 that god demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners christ died for us again i thought about the shame and the guilt from what i had done and that even though i'd done those things christ had died for me and then Romans ten nine, you know, if we confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Um, and I did believe that Jesus had died on the cross to pay for my sin. And I did believe he had died and rose again. And I was willing to um, commit my life to him. Yeah, you know, I think the biblical word is repent, turn from following ourselves to turning to God. Uh, so I tell people now, I did the ABCs when I was 10 years old. <laughs> you know, the A is I admit that I was a sinner. The B is I believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty I deserved on the cross. And C I called out to him and asked for forgiveness and I committed my life to him. That's the C. So yeah, that's what happened when I was 10. I finished that class and I told my parents, yes, I still want to become a Christian. And, and that's, that's how it happened. And when it happened for me as a 10 year old boy, it's exciting. I
0: know that when you go through that experience, it's something that's like permanently, you know, you know, branded into your memory, like something that I still remember specifics of when I, I remember exactly how old I was. I was either seven or eight, but I still remember the specific instances of mm-hmm. when I accepted Christ. And that's so cool that, you know, you can remember those truths that were presented and be able to articulate it. Cause that, that is the, that encapsulates the gospel of where we're at and what we need and how, how we can have peace with God. Yes. What, um, yes. What would you say, um, changed in your life or, um, I know, obviously, 10 years old, you probably have done more sins since then than uh, you did to that point in your life. Um, hopefully not too many more bird <laughs> croquet incidents. Yeah, but, that was the last uh, of those. Okay. But uh, what, uh, what changes were you able to see having Christ in your life that otherwise wouldn't have occurred had He not been a part of your life?
1: Yeah. You know, one of the immediate ones, you know, and, and one thing I learned from the class I went through and from studying the Bible since then is uh, baptism does not bring forgiveness to us, right? Uh, Baptism is like a wedding ring. It's a symbol. You know, my wedding ring is a symbol that I'm married, but it doesn't make me married. My baptism by immersion is not a, doesn't make me a Christian. It's a symbol that I'm a Christian, right? And so I was baptized. It was, I think, February when I accepted Christ. I was, but I was baptized on Good Friday night of, uh, when I was 10 years old. And I, I still remember that very vividly. But that time period from when I accepted Christ till maybe six weeks later getting baptized and the next month or two after that, I felt a lightness. I felt lighter on my feet physically. Uh, There was a physical feeling that went with the spiritual reality. I I think it's because I had that guilt lifted from me, right? From not just the bird incident, not just from the cupcake incident, but from all my sin, right? Whenever we feel guilt and when it's relieved, we feel so much better. And I remember at the time saying to my mom, I said, mom, I have felt lighter and, uh, she goes, I felt the same way, you know, after I came to Christ and then I was baptized to you. She goes, I felt the same way. I said, yeah, I've been feeling so much lighter. So that was, uh, that was one big change, right, is the relieving of the guilt. And I, I think that's what drags a lot of people down now. And they don't quite know what that, they don't quite know, understand what's dragging them down. But I think it's that unresolved guilt. Um, like most people, middle school and high school was tough especially seventh, eighth grade, you know, as my friends began to cuss and talk about girls in a a way we shouldn't talk about girls, right, and start looking at magazines and things like that, they shouldn't look at it. And I had decided to live for Christ. That was very, very hard years. I felt alone a lot or felt lonely a lot. Um, The biggest difference I have found to this day is Uh, and this kind of just hit me a couple months ago right people I think are looking for these things to me I think they're looking for hope I think they're looking for peace and I think they're looking for love and uh, you know there was a song in the 70s looking for love in all the wrong places and I think as we we look for peace, we look for hope, we look for peace, we look for love. I think so many people are looking in all the wrong places and we're not going to find the peace and the hope and the love that we're looking for until we find forgiveness. Again, which resolves the guilt. And when the guilt goes away, then you feel the love, and then you feel the peace, then you feel the hope. Okay, I've got hope here. You know, we we just went through another round of elections here. And I was very disappointed in some of the results in Ohio and and around the nation and, and in Kentucky where I live. And I can get really down about that. A friend of mine used the word melancholy the other day. I mean, some of the things we voted for are very, very troubling. And if I dwell on them, I can get really down. But I have this hope that because I have forgiveness, I have peace and hope and love. And this world isn't all there is to offer. I I hope America turns around. I hope we change course. I hope we come back to God. I, I, I hope that dearly. But if we do not, right, and things continue to deteriorate, things might get really bad for me or my kids or my grandkids if God gives me some someday. But... You know, Revelation talks about in heaven, all things will be made new and every tear will be wiped from our eyes. Uh, If I only had this earth to look at, I would be really, really down right now. Yeah. I mean, really down. (laughs) Like very down. I mean, I'm not trying to be over, but I mean, it can be very discouraging. Right. But this isn't the end game. Right. Right. If I get 84 years here or however many I have. Uh, I get 84 times that in heaven where there is no tears, no sorrow, no evil, no wrongdoing, no brokenness, no disease, because there's forgiveness and love and we're in the presence of God. And we have that hope because of Jesus Christ. So that is the biggest difference, that decision I made when I was 10 years old, is it, that's the biggest difference I see today. Yeah,
0: yeah. the burden being left to remind me, reminds me of the uh, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, where he Hmm. talks, you know, has this fictitious character, but very realistic and how the carrying around that burden, he tries so many different ways to relieve himself of it. And it wasn't until he experiences that forgiveness that you're referring to that he's freed from that. And just how, you know, freeing it is, you know, just to not have to carry that burden of, of sin around. And, you know, I, think a lot of people can relate with with that when they're finally set free um they are be, they are adopted into god's family that christ's blood washes away their sin he takes on um god's wrath on their behalf and it certainly is you know no better way to say it other than freeing yeah
1: yeah because yeah, with Bunyan's pilgrim's progress isn't it at the foot of the cross that backpack falls off yep. of him yep. yeah that heavy pack yep. and I don't know if, folks if you've ever been out there I was I did survival training we had to carry around these heavy packs and I always felt so good at the end of the day when we could take the pack off and and make make our bed for the evening it felt so good to have that pack off and that is a great picture yeah. of what forgiveness brings
0: certainly now I know with a lot of people cuz I know it's true in my story and from talking to other people um <clears throat> when you accept Christ as a child You know, you know, that's exactly what you need to do. You know, you come as a child, but you often don't understand or know a lot of what, you know, faith with Christ looks like, you know, as you mature and grow in both your, your uh, like just normal life and then also your spiritual life, how those coincide. So often what I've seen is there's like a time where you trust Christ, but then there's also a time where you maybe say, okay, I'm actually going to believe and act out my faith. And like, there's some people call it a dedication or a rededication or, you know, a commitment. Um, Was there ever a time, like you mentioned, junior high, high school was kind of a a challenging time, which you're not alone in that, but was there a time in that time period or after that college or later that you had a, you know what, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord type moment? Yeah.
1: Closest thing I had to that, and I, I know a lot of people experience what you just said, uh, you know, I accepted Christ when I was 10. When I was 14, we moved to Anchorage, Alaska, and when we were there, we got into a very dynamic church. We had a, a great pastor, had a great youth pastor. We had people in their mid to uh, mid to early 20s who were working with our youth group who were a lot of great role models. And there was a guy in high school two years ahead of me named Ed McClure, and he really took me under his wing when I was a ninth grader and began. I I wouldn't have been able to tell you this term at the time, but he discipled me or mentored me, right? He taught me really, uh, even more, I know Mrs. Anderson, Mrs. Nancy Anderson had taught me a lot about Bible study, but Ed really showed me how to really study the Bible in depth, how to pray how to share my faith how to evangelize how to share the gospel and we shared it many times in high school and led several people to Christ which was always very exciting so a lot of times people really struggle in their teen years and that was not the issue for me I'm not I mean they struggle with doubt or whether they're going to follow the Lord that wasn't so much me even though I did have some lonely periods right where I wasn't going to go with the crowd I didn't really have any doubts the when they really struck me was uh late twenties. I was twenty seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine years old. I was in the Air Force, I was flying airplanes, and um I had been uh I'd been very fortunate. I hadn't had a lot of disappointments in my Air Force career or many disappointments in life. And I had several in a row there during that period of time. Uh the Air Force I felt like the Air Force leadership uh, had broken some promises to me, which really sort of made me jaded for a while towards the Air Force. Uh, I had a girl break up with me that I thought her reasons (laughs) weren't very good, and it kind of made me a little jaded. And a lot of my friends were getting married, uh, which while I was happy for them, I was, but you know, when somebody gets married, that changes your relationship with them. It changes your friendship. So some of those friendships I had were changing. This girl had broken up with me. The Air Force had, um, like I said, I thought they had broken some promises to me. My local church was going through a little bit of a hard time at the time. And so all these things were coming along and, more than, uh, than rebelling against God, it just was starting to make me a little jaded and a little bitter. And you start taking that out on everybody, I think on those all, or all those around you, those closest to you, and you can take it out on God. And I remember particularly being at my friend's wedding that weekend. And I, I just, I could feel it inside. I even said some very sarcastic things at that over that wedding weekend that a result of the feelings of jadedness and things like that. So, you know, that period of time probably went on for a year and a half, two years, something like that. And then moved on, but that was the, that's the closest that I can think to what you're, what you're referring to. Sure. Would you
0: say that the, um, like, since you follow, Mm -hmm. been following Christ, you know, for, uh, for over 40 years it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. what would you say is if you could identify one challenge to following Christ that you've encountered um what's what's made it uh, difficult or something that you've noticed like hey, you know, it we're still I'm still a sinner, I still struggle with things like what what's one of the the biggest challenges to following Christ that you've experienced?
1: Yeah. There's two of them. Uh they're probably related. Uh number one I I was brought up to, and taught to always be polite and not to hurt people's feelings not to offend people right the the bible talks about the gospel can be offensive right because what does our society now say over and over again well you're okay everybody's okay everybody's special right barney taught us you're special you're special right the the purple dinosaur And um, sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth hurts me. Sometimes the truth hurts others. So speaking up uh, to coworkers or friends or acquaintances about either things that are controversial in our society, that our society is going with now, sexuality, for example, drug use, things like that. uh, Sometimes it's important to speak up, and I do not Because I don't want to make waves, and I don't, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. But that, that's not honoring to God. It's at the end, not very helpful to people, or ourselves. And you take that a step further, sharing the gospel. Everybody has a need for forgiveness, right? Sure. And As I already said, we're already looking for love and hope and peace in all the wrong places, and I am sometimes too hesitant to share the best news i know with people which is the gospel because i don't want to make them feel uncomfortable closely related to that is uh, jesus shares the parable of the sower and there's four kinds of ground there's the hard ground there's rocky soil there's a the shallow soil and then there's a the fertile soil and uh, the one kind of soil where the seed is sown and it starts growing and it gets choked out by the pleasures of the world by he says it's choked out by thorns and thistles and he later explains to his disciples those are the pleasures of the world it is very tempting for me and i suppose others living in a prosperous nation like america that we can get choked out by the pleasures of the world oh i don't want to do that that'd be too much effort that'd be too much energy uh it's uh, that would cause some stress. I just want to take it easy, right? Uh, it's it's a lot easier to uh, change my fantasy football lineup right than talk to people about the gospel or something like that. And so just fighting that temptation of letting my faith be choked out by the pleasures of the world is mm. the other challenge. Yeah. That makes a lot of
0: sense. I think so often it's, it's easy to give in to that because it's the path of least resistance. And uh, I've heard it said that, you know, while the the first sin was uh, taking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I've often heard it said that perhaps apathy preceded that, uh, where Adam was just taking the little path of least resistance where it's like, "Ah, I don't really feel like telling my wife what God really said, or I don't really feel like standing up and keeping her from, Having this conversation, getting close to the tree, you know, putting in her hand or taking a bite, you know, because he was right there with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've I've heard that kind of that apathy is is uh, definitely from the beginning and uh, is certainly uh, prevalent in in all of our lives if we're honest. Yeah. On the uh, flip side of of kind of the challenges that you've faced, in can I say this
1: before the flip yeah, yeah, side? Yeah just one thing I've tried to think of the anecdote for Mm -hmm. what we've been talking about just now. And I found getting around people who are not apathetic and who are willing to speak up and who are making a difference, try to be around them. It's contagious. Yeah. Yeah. As much as I can really helps me fight that. No, you're good. You can readjust it. Okay. (laughs) I hit the mic. Sorry. Talking with the hands there, (laughs) Uh, but go ahead. You were going to change. Well,
0: yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Talked about the challenges. What joys have you found since accepting Christ? What what is has uh, changed in your life, or what have you noticed to be like? If I didn't have Christ, I wouldn't have this
1: this joy. Yeah. Well, the first one I mentioned already is that lightness, and uh, I think some ta- some followers of Christ, not all, but some followers of Christ can sort of dismiss emotion, um, and I think that's a mistake. uh We don't live our life on emotion, but emotions are part of our life and they're important, right? And that feeling of relief and forgiveness after I first came to Christ, uh, definitely one of the joys and benefits. Again, I I think for a lot of people, the root cause of a lot of things they're dealing with, whether it be anxiety or depression or just a gloomy look on life is they've never resolved that guilt they're feeling and. I don't think they could articulate that, right? But because I accepted Christ at age 10 and I pretty much walk with him since then, I've not had that burden of that guilt. So that's, that's one benefit, one huge benefit. The other very practical benefit I can think of, and I see this a lot when I go to my high school and my college reunions, is I see people who have rejected the Lord, at least to this point in their life, and hopefully someday they'll change their mind. But I see the toil, the toll, excuse me, the mm-hmm. toll that's taken on them. I remember going to my five-year reunion and uh, there was a guy in our class. He was a couple of years older than us. He'd failed a couple of grades, but I remember we were laughing at our five-year reunion because we were like 23 at the time, right? He looked, Donnie looked like he was 40, And there's nothing wrong with looking like you're 40 when you're 40. Sure. (laughs) But if you're looking like you're 40 when you're 25, right. Just, just because of the rough life he'd been living, right? right. The decisions he had made, how he decided to live his life was basically how Donnie wanted to live his life. Not how God, what God wanted for Donnie's life. And, you know, I heard somebody say until age 50, we make our decisions. And then after the age of 50, our decisions make us. And I, I don't think, you know, it can be before the age of 50, but if we intentionally, let's let me put it this way, right? <laughs> uh, I just got a new refrigerator, right? And so I looked at the instruction manual of how to hook up the ice maker, et cetera. And I didn't have to look at the instruction manual. I could have winged it and it might've worked and it may not have worked, right? But because I looked at the instruction manual, it worked. And it's working right, and it's working as it should. And, and I really view the Bible that way. God has told us how how we should live life. And when we live it His way, it's the best way to live. doesn't mean it's going to be trial-free or, you know, it's going to be particularly easy or whatever, right? But uh, when we do things the way they're intended to be done, there's a huge benefit to that. And that's that's what I've seen in my life. Uh you know, between my health, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, et cetera. Certainly.
0: Yeah. Well, if if you were to leave anyone watching this or listening to this with something, what would you say, I want you to get this out of my story, or what's one thing that you'd want them to take away um after hearing your story? Can I say
1: two? <laughs> you can say two. <laughs> Uh, the first one I would say is just realize there's lies we hear every day all around us. And when you hear them long enough, it's easy to start believing them, whether, oh, Christianity is not really true or there's no God or this life is all there is. You hear that over and over and over and over again. It can wear you down but it's a lie and we need to recognize it for what it is and we intentionally recognize that that's a lie. I think that goes a long way in helping us in our Christian walk. Uh, but the biggest thing I would say to folks, especially if you've never surrendered, and I use that word intentionally, surrendered your life to Christ, given up control of your life to Christ, ask for that forgiveness is it's it's not worth it (laughs) living the life on your own is not worth it it's the guilt it's the it just and i know it's hard to surrender but i'm telling you if you really want to find peace and hope and love you've got to surrender to the prince of peace and you can and that's available for you if you'll just surrender. So that's the biggest thing. Because I found it. Again, I keep going back to the to the bird and the cupcakes, right? But that guilt just weighed on me. Yeah. And and the other things I'd done that were wrong. And we don't have to carry that guilt. So that's what I'd leave with your listeners. Yeah. Well, I appreciate
0: you taking time to to join us, but also walking us through a very real understanding of how you came to know faith in christ sometimes it's easy just to say yeah i did some bad things and i just realized i was a bad person but i i really appreciate the time you took to articulate specifics of your journey and how you came to know because um i think without those specifics it's really hard to get to know someone and to really understand the journey they went through to have faith with christ so uh i really appreciate that and thank you for uh taking time to uh tell us of how you became a child of God.
1: You're welcome, Timmy. And and yeah, I would just say in closing, some people might think, well, hitting a bird when you're five or licking a cupcake when you're nine or 10, it's just, that's just what boys do. And it's like, well, you're right. But it's a indication of our boys or our girls that we all have this deep need inside for forgiveness. Yeah, and God had given you that where it wasn't so much just
0: the action but it would revealed something that was inside of you that's that right. wasn't right yeah so yeah. you know you're right like you know if I go kill a bird tomorrow it's not like the worst thing you know if you're with PETA maybe uh, that's, <laughs> that's the worst right. thing out there but you know you articulated well that it it evoked that emotion of hey something's not right here something wow. needs to change I can't continue on this course because I know there's there's evil that that is in me that I need a savior to save me from that so okay. very good Thanks to thank, me yep thank you. The importance of intentional guidance and biblical instruction at an early age cannot be overstated. The love and care that Daryl received from those charged with teaching God's word to children in a church setting had a profound impact on his life so much so that he has vivid memories of specific teachers and lessons. The book of Proverbs chapter 22 verse 4 says, The training children receive at an early age has great impact on the trajectory of their life. Be sure to never undervalue the importance of sharing God's word with the next generation. The impact was certainly evident in Daryl's life story today. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so please take a moment to leave a comment or share some feedback today. Redemption Report is now seven episodes old, so I'm still learning and appreciate any feedback you'd like to share. More content can be found on teawareproductions.com, including ways to contact me directly. Be sure to tune in next week for another story of redemption. See you next time.